0: Hello, and welcome to Unseen Being, our monthly show where we talk to artists, scientists, and each other about what the hell is happening inside our brains and bodies when we experience the world around us. We explore some of the intangible
1: and overlooked experiences that contribute to the way we feel. What happens at the center of our experiences when we listen to music, walk in nature, sit on our phones, make morning coffees, zone out, and get into the flow, or
0: simply dance around the room? All of these tiny micro-experiences contribute to the way we feel, act, and behave. So in this podcast, we take you on a mini-journey of self-discovery, exploration, and feed your curiosity about some of the most overlooked yet instrumental elements that contribute to your well-being. Consider this an
1: audio handbook curated by artists, scientists, philosophers, and technologists, a critical guide to understanding the well-being of experience in the current age we bring you the latest in scientific discoveries but cut the academic jargon and help enhance your understanding of the way everyday experiences impact you and potentially an understanding of some of the tiny changes you can make to improve the way you feel
0: we are robin and Catherine, and together we're the founders of Kindest studios a creative science studio that explores the aesthetics of human experience we look at the neuroscience of art's impact on well-being and human connection and believe that connection to self, others, and the environment is fundamental to human experience.
1: Welcome to today's show. Now, recently it seems that everywhere we turn, from microdosing to mental health, creativity, music, or even the notion of mystical experience, conversation about psychedelics is everywhere. So we decided to focus a whole show on it. And while it may not seem like psychedelics are an obvious tool for promoting healthier living, plants and fungi with psychedelic potential have been used by humans for centuries, if not millennia, for holistic healing of the body and mind. And now the recent surge and kind of rising trend in psychedelics, as you'll probably have heard, is really largely to do with a huge surge in research and funding with some pretty hopeful findings about the impact of psychedelics psychedelics. Not just on ourselves, but in relation to others and the greater world. And neuroscience has shown us the vast number of changes that psychedelics have on our brains and bodies and the long-term potential impact they have. They really seem to be taking us to new places with our mind alone. But with all the conversations happening, how do they really work? Why is it such an exciting time for the field of research? What are the watchouts if you've never taken or want to take more psychedelics? And what if you don't want to take them? How can you potentially access some of the similar states of consciousness that people
0: experience? So in this episode, we're going to help clarify and classify the drugs, the science behind them and the breakthroughs that are happening at the moment. We want to help you understand the impact they're having on mental health, well-being and connectedness. And also, as Robin said, break down the other routes that we're exploring to access these altered states of consciousness and ego dissolution, including things like the power of awe, connection and unity. We're going to speak to Chris Timmerman, a psychedelic researcher from Imperial College, and Eileen Hall, a creative director, psychedelic artist, and founder of TAOS.org. So, before we kick off into the research, let's just clarify a few things. Now, we're not in any way, of course, promoting the use of psychedelics for recreational use, but what we are really interested in is the potential positive and therapeutic use and the evidence towards it that is growing.
1: But before we go into the science of how this works and how people are using this for therapeutic impact... Psychedelic culture has been brewing for decades, you know, dating back to the 60s. And psychedelic as a term literally translates to mind manifesting or mind revealing, which speaks to their ability to enhance and accentuate whatever objects exist in the mind. And there's a world of psychedelic slang and culture that has arisen with words to try and tangibilize or communicate the often ineffable experiences of psychedelics. And we've spoken about this before using words or language to try and communicate things that are seemingly indescribable in our embodiment episode if you want to link back to episode three four i think it was we spoke about how language is often limiting beyond what we feel in our lived experience of the body. The language is slightly reductive of the vastness of impact of the experiences that people have. Actually, within uh, the psychedelic experience, between two-thirds and 86% of those who had experiences in a therapeutic setting consider them to be one of the most spiritually significant experiences of their lives. And how do you even quantify or explain kind of the vastness of that feeling? And When we spoke to Chris Timmerman, who you'll hear from in a second, I really loved one of the things he said. He said, it's like you're generating a new dictionary of feelings with regards to your experience.
0: Which is why you find there's this sort of growing body of slang around psychedelics, which in itself is really interesting. If you listen to some of the words, for example, tripping, where people literally feel transported to different places with their minds alone. Or an altered state of consciousness, you know, shows how these compounds are um, helping people explore untapped parts of their mind. Now we'll have more on this later, and the different ways to access this. But also you see people talking about mystical experiences, you know. So there's all these words and all these names, but they stem back as far as sort of William James, the father of psychology, who called it a religious experience, a unitary state, a unitative experience, you know, soulful self, and of course self transcendence. Now, there's, of course, some practical words uh, that you will hear along the way. A dose is just the amount you take, and that might reference a micro dose of a small dose, a normal dose, or what's known as a heroic or large dose. Uh, When you take it on your own versus clinical trials, people normally take the doses depending on things like body weight, what sort of experience they want to have, and it can be, of course, synthetically made, as is done in the clinical trials, or, or real or grown yourself. But regardless of the language, these mind journeys are driven by sort of the need to open new or underused neural connections. And it's that which really fascinates us, these new avenues to drive impact on our mental health. And as we start using these new pathways in our brain, we begin to see the world and ourselves in it differently. And that's what can lead potentially to long-term and transformative changes in our well-being. So without any pause, let's get into the science of how it works.
1: Okay, so before we get into how they work on the brain, I think it's just important to classify kind of the types of psychedelics here. So you'll hear people talking about all different kinds, but classical psychedelics are known as LSD, psilocybin, which you find in magic mushrooms, or DMT, which you'll find in DMT that you might smoke, or ayahuasca ceremonies, or 5-MeO DMT. Now, You'll also be hearing about other sort of psychedelic drugs that people are speaking of, including including ketamine, as well as MDMA. And these are non-classical psychedelic drugs. And the reason this is important to distinguish is because they do work slightly differently. The classical psychedelics are the ones that we'll speak about today, and they effectively work on the serotonin receptors in your brain, the 5-H2A serotonin receptors to be specific. And... As humans, we have this hierarchical and predictive thinking. It's these pre-ingrained beliefs that we've walked around with our whole lives. Not all thoughts and beliefs are given equal weighting. These higher prior beliefs have more power. And it ultimately means that a lot of these higher power beliefs are self referential in nature. And unfortunately, it means they're often negative. You know, thinking about anxiety, fear of the future, the past, things like obsessions and OCD, or even the way we think about our own bodies, they become more important, which means that unfortunately, these new thoughts and information and beliefs that come into our lives all the time based on all of our sensory experiences get pushed down, and they don't even reach the surface of our conscious minds. So we keep going through the same stories about ourselves over and over again. What psychedelics do in the experience is they relax these hierarchical beliefs, which means they give rise to these lower level ones that previously we didn't give attention to. And Robin Carhart-Harris, an influential psychedelic researcher, has come up with the Rebus model to explain this, which Rebus stands for relaxed beliefs under the psychedelic states. Now, Once these lower-level beliefs are freed and reach the surface of our mind, they're liberated, and they can now make an impact and create these long-term changes in the way we think, act, and behave. Now is probably a good time to introduce Chris, who explained this in a really beautiful way in regards to how psychedelics help change the stories we tell ourselves.
2: My name is Chris Timmerman. I'm a researcher at the Center for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College here in London. And one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about with regards to the psychedelic work, that psychedelics have been a lot of the time regarded as some form of illusion that your mind generates, uh, some sort of, um, you know, literally a hallucination. Meaning that it's not necessarily that you're tapping into something that is real, but it's more like a new story. And uh, a lot of people think that this new story that people come up with is helpful, is beneficial, right? But it does not necessarily have to do with something that is you know, very fundamentally real in a, in a way. One of the things that I'm really interested in, in in my work is understanding whether or not psychedelics can bring about meaningful knowledge, can bring about meaningful insights. And you can think of, for example, as like a therapeutic insight, you know, I realize something about my story, uh, about my life, I I remember the lost trauma. You know that seems to be like meaningful knowledge for a person individually to themselves. But then you have like larger questions, which is, um, can psychedelics tell us something meaningful about, like for example, the nature of mind, right? And then you would say, you know, meditation is kind of like an interesting parallel avenue into that same sort of idea that you know through contemplation and through disciplined practice, you can eventually get to understand the nature of mind.
0: It's really interesting there that, that Chris talks about meditation, because that's something else that's really interesting to explore, because like psychedelics, it seems to have an impact on your DMN, your default mode network, which is one of our favorite parts of the brain. Located at the front of the brain, it's, well, it's actually a collection of regions, and it's known as the seat of self, the seat of ego. You know, all those moments where you suddenly are lost, ruminating, daydream, or if you're me overanalyzing, worrying about things, this is your DMN at work. And as we know, it can feel sometimes impossible, especially late at night, to switch off. Now, what's interesting in some mental illnesses and processing disorders is that the activity in the DMN is disrupted. So we see things like hyperactivity in this area with people who are schizophrenic or when we have excessive rumination, but also decreased activity across a range of mental illnesses and disorders such as PTSD. What research has shown is that under the influence of psychedelics, there is a deactivation in the DMN. What that means is we sort of lose our ego. We pay less attention to self-referential thinking. That chattering mind quietens down, which is why potentially we can think more outside these ingrained constructs. These self-focused thoughts basically exist at the top of the hierarchy system that Robin explained. And when they're relaxed, we can think more broadly. And that's how we shift perspectives on how we think about things.
1: So we're not only shifting perspectives, but we're also increasing the number of connections in our brain. What psychedelics do is they actually increase global connectivity in the brain. There's more neurons speaking with each other, and there's just more channels of information flowing. But what this means is that when it actually happens is basically a state of chaos in the brain. You can imagine there's loads of new connections and neurons speaking to each other. It can feel pretty chaotic at the time. It's a state of kind of global entropy, which means that during the experience, even though you're more flexible and thinking more broadly, it can feel a bit confusing. It's hard to make sense of them or what's what. And sometimes it's not until the dust settles that the insights can emerge. And these are the kind of long-term changes that we speak about. And Chris's work inherently explores this notion of insight and how psychedelics can impart new knowledge as he said earlier
2: so i think that the, the notion of insight is probably one of the central mechanisms of healing so they say there's a big discussion on on psychedelic science sphere right now on whether or not you need experiences for them to be you know for this to be therapeutic or whether or not it's just something that is just like shifting your brain making it more plastic and therefore you know, you would just heal, but you don't necessarily need the experience. And the truth is that so far, the evidence favors the idea that you do need experiences. And what the evidence is showing is that specifically, these insight sort of experiences are the ones that are more correlated to getting better from depression or getting better from your addictions. I mean, one of the things that we proposed with a couple of colleagues, and we wrote this up in a in a piece. We, we titled Psychedelic Apprenticeship, which is that the nature of insight may have a a form of a double-edged sword quality to it. When insights arrive in the psychedelic experience, although it's chaotic a lot of the time, there are moments, the specific moments of illumination, of revelation, moments in which people become aware of something that is very meaningful to them and that can be it could be about their lives it could be about the nature of the world it can be about a spiritual quality but these insight moments are particularly meaningful and and sometimes people never ever forget them you know like uh you know when i was tripping for the first time on mushrooms i realized you know i am nature i was nature in that and i wasn't no longer separated and this veil of illusion of separation was cut down and now you know, God is nature for me, or whatever. It is. The fundamental quality of all these insights, what makes them special in the psychedelic state, is that it's felt as if it's arriving from what you might say an unmediated source. It has a noetic feeling. It's coming from the ether, so to say, right? It's not like somebody's telling you, giving you good arguments, why this is important, why this is truth, why this is meaningful. Um, but because it feels that it arrives from the ether and the person cannot really explain it, Automatically it becomes truth. It becomes something that has incredible amount of value in it So I think the nature of insight is fundamental in terms of what we learn from the experience But I think what also the aspect of insight reveals is that For us to engage with the psychedelic experience. We need to have a very thoughtful approach On how to do it and more importantly we need to do it with others You know, we need to have a guide, we need to have a facilitator, we need to have a community of people understanding these things.
1: So Chris spoke of the importance of a guide or even he mentioned this integration therapist and this leads really well into this notion of psychedelic therapy. A guided experience now being used as part of clinical trials and generally speaking they're trying to standardize this into a four-stage process. Assessment, preparation, experience and integration and this really paints a really important picture of it's not just the psychedelic experience itself but it's the pre-setup and the integration phase after which we'll speak of and generally They involve one or two sessions where the participants ingest a psychedelic alongside a trained therapist or guide for the duration of the experience, as well as these you know, very crucial integration and preparation stages. And what's really interesting is unlike antidepressants, which require a long-term course of treatment, some patients just need one or two sessions to produce six to 12 months results long after the trial has finished. And what's even more interesting is most of these trials are currently taking place with people with treatment-resistant depression, which means that they're people who have undergone antidepressant treatments without any effects, which just happens to up to half the number of people who are put on antidepressants. And what they're finding with these long-term impacts in studies of addiction, patients show that tobacco smokers had an 80% abstinence rate in the six months following- And in studies of depression, those suffering from advanced stage cancer, as well as this drug-resistant depression I spoke of, had significant decreases in depression one to six months after the treatment. And what I think is really interesting about the difference between psychedelics and antidepressants is this notion of connection versus disconnection. So when you're taking classic antidepressants, what they do is they basically disconnect you from the world. They make your feelings and your sensations more manageable. They mask them and, and reduce them. So it makes it easier to be in the world. And the difference of psychedelics is psychedelics breed and foster connection. It actually forces you into the experience to address your trauma, to address the things that are bothering you, which isn't always an easy thing. But once you kind of face them head on, you can almost liberate yourself from them for a longer period of time. And so I think this is a really interesting point to just think about, and of course, it wouldn't be an episode without me mentioning interoception. Lucky for me, Chris shares this passion with Kinda Studios. And Chris is really interested in exploring more work with interoception and the work of the body, not just the mind, in psychedelics. And he told us a little bit about exploring this landscape further.
2: When people are engaging in the, in the, in the psychedelic therapy aspect of it, and they're engaging in the clinical, a lot of the experiences have a somatic element to them you know people feel that they're reenacting their trauma but they're reenacting their trauma in a way that it is embodied so people locate where their anxiety is more strongly in the body and they connect that with the story related to the trauma so it seems that while the old story is that psychedelics just produce hallucinations the idea that you can reconnect to your body says something more meaningful about a an actual exploration of the human condition because you're breaking down stories and instead of going up into different stories you can go down into the body and it's interesting because it's primarily an intuitive mechanism so usually it's said that psychedelics have an ineffable quality to it it's hard to put into words right? so it seems that by tapping into this intuitive capacity you're breaking, instead of making up new stories, you're actually breaking them down and going into something more fundamental in your body. So that's why I'm interested in the idea of interoception and psychedelics, because if it is true that you actually do break down these stories that we make up in life and, and you go to the, to the source, if you will, you know, where we store our traumas and we have our early life, our first engagement with the world, you know.
0: Of course, that idea of awareness of the body that Chris talks about is something that is a big topic in our own research. You know, that embodied in cognition, interoception, which of course we have a whole episode on, is something that is so fundamental to the new way we're exploring well-being. And of course, you know, it's something that is explored in, in psychedelic treatment, whether it's clinical or, as we see now, popping up everywhere. Uh, less clinical trials. So we have places like Synthesis in Amsterdam um, and Awaken in Bristol. Now, these places are really interesting because they're retreats, uh, they're legal, professionally guided retreats in which you go to experience personal growth, emotional breakthrough uh, and spiritual development. It's interesting to see how this research is moving beyond clinical settings into the real world. We've also got cities across the US which are decriminalising psilocybin But with all of this, clinical or non-clinical, as Chris says, set and setting is really important. The aesthetics within the psychedelic experience. Classic psychedelics do not lead to withdrawal or compulsive drug-seeking behaviours, as you see with substances such as opioids and cocaine, and that's a very important distinction to make. But there are hazards, the main ones really being related to the intensity of the altered state of consciousness they produce. Which is why set, mindset, expectations, intention, setting your environment, physical or social, and proper supervision of guidance is one of the most important elements to safety in a psychedelic journey. So perhaps Robin, you would explain the best way to prepare and also integrate these experiences.
1: Yeah, 100%. So when we talk about set. People are talking about the mindset, making sure that you're of sound mind. Maybe if you're feeling really stressed or anxious one day, it's not the best to take a psychedelic. It's also important, as we'll hear people speak about later in the episode, the notion of intention setting, setting an intention for your practice, even something just to anchor you, perhaps when you're having the peak of your experience. You know, anything to help you kind of free yourself of mental chatter leading into the experience and get more embodied is also really useful. And this can inform Things like breath work and breathing, or perhaps a movement practice, or perhaps a little bit of meditation, a bit of journaling to help free yourself from some of that mental chatter. You know, not to mention the setting, the environment that we spoke about uh, that Catherine mentioned, making sure that you're around positive people if you have a guide or somebody to take care of you or make sure that you're okay, making sure that you're in an environment that you like, that you feel safe in, maybe just taking a little bit of extra care with candles or the proper lighting in the space or some plants that you you feel safe and nourished by but again it's not just about the experience it's about that integration afterwards and as chris mentioned we have these moments of insight and it's really important to kind of understand how to integrate those into our lives chris shares with us a little bit more about some of the ways to integrate your experience
2: good practices involve well there's actually integration therapists that you can look up online other more practical things that are not necessarily therapeutic are for example journaling Journaling, engaging with our loops of like self-reflection, with some form of practice, is important. Another good practice could be forms of meditation, in which you're essentially exercising, you're grasping not-to-tight abilities around these ideas. You know, like, um, it's all, meditation is all about this process of allowing the contents of your mind, contemplating them, and then letting them go which in a way can be a bit opposite to this inside experience and the psychedelic experience in which the feeling, the thought, the revelation comes in your mind and you hold on to it very strongly. But I think the other sort of things that people could do is speak with more experienced people than you. And I think that the larger principle there is engaging with the community. Um, the idea that You know, when you have a community of people, there's integration circles happening in many places. In in London, for example, there's many integration circles that offer a lot of value for people who have difficulty integrating these experiences. The good thing about uh, a community, the intersubjective quality of it, is that you will probably have more experienced people than you. And that more experienced people have gone through those pitfalls as well. You know, the benefits, the opportunities, and maybe even the pitfalls of the psychedelic experience. And therefore, you know, the idea of mutual support or peer support is very valuable. It's very valuable to hear, you know, other people going through the same thing that you have gone through maybe in the past and how they got out of it. If there's something more meaningful coming up, uh, integration therapists... Psychedelic Integration Therapists are popping up more and more.
0: I love what Chris says about meditation. We've mentioned it before. But of course, the environment, as Rob mentioned, is something you can control as well, which is why the aesthetics, not just the people and the mindset you're surrounded by, is so important. One really exciting branch of our work is science-informed design of these settings. So we've been working with different creatives, artists, musicians, to look at constructing sort of immersive environments which support the process, support the embodiment, support the journey inwards, um, and support your nervous system and brain in these experiences. For example, you might have also heard of organisations like Wave Paths, or John Hopkins, whose new album was created with a psychedelic experience in mind.
1: Which leads us to our next guest, Eileen Hall, who is a creative director and psychedelic artist whose work is helping to create the energy, the essence and environment in some of these spaces.
3: So my name is Eileen Hall, and I am a creative director and artist, um, and I work mostly with painting and drawing in my personal work. And I also uh, run a platform called TIOS which connects people to nature and explores our relationship to our well-being in that sense. So I started using psychedelics uh, just over a decade ago. Um, as therapy and also for inspiration for my work so they seem to come in tandem with one another as I was in a healing journey they seem to be pointing me to art a lot so that's when I uh, really focused on making more of this work from that space uh, of altered consciousness or transcendence and also connection to something that feels sacred because these states of transcendence and alongside psychedelics rituals ceremonies and therapy they came into my life at a where I really needed them, I really needed answers, I needed to help myself through some difficult emotions and spaces, then I have a very precious relationship to that space and that I value a lot for what it did for me in my life to get me unstuck. A lot of my work has been directed towards spaces of healing, of therapy. A lot of people, there's a number of mentors and uh, practitioners that have my work in their healing spaces, for example, um, and they will use it as a guide, a guide in some way for people's experience within the space. So I've made my work to look like dreamscapes. Um, they're very liminal, luminous spaces, um, and they're there to depict that fluid quality that consciousness has as it's opening up in ourselves and our body and connecting to that space that's beyond us, the unknown or the mystery. And so really there is a reminder that we can navigate into these dream worlds in order to receive information about ourselves, about the world and our connection to it. Um, so my work really is designed as a kind of uh, place where you can connect to one of those intentions, either visually, Um, or otherwise um, and also use it to connect back to that intention during your experience so you could be in your journey and go back to the painting so the painting can reflect back to you that that intention that you've set and also afterwards you're you're just it's just there as an anchor as a symbol and as a reminder of the meaning making uh, that's taken place as we're exploring our consciousness.
1: Eileen touched on a great point here that's worth digging a little bit more into and that's meaning making. And so meaning is something we speak about a lot at the studio here. It's really fundamental to any experience that you have. It really lays at the foundation of transformation. And if you think about it, meaning is really how we make sense of the world and our place in it. Meaning evokes a feeling in your body and makes something relevant to you. So without meaning, you can't really have growth or transformation. And this is really important to the psychedelic experience because it lays at the heart of it. Psychedelics fundamentally enhance your perception of meaning, or in other words, they cause things to be dramatically more meaningful than they would normally be. Thinking about it this way, things we previously thought were meaningless or we ignored are now finally getting the attention and spotlight in our mind that they deserve. And when we pay more attention to them, we increase the potential for what they can mean to us or the impact they have. It's like the things that we were previously taught to ignore our whole lives, we can finally pay attention to. And now this is actually, Actually kind of an interesting point to labor on in regards to creativity. Now, you'll have heard a lot of people talking about psychedelics making them more creative. You have all these microdosers who are using it for new ideas, or even just the vast array of artists in history who have talked about psychedelic use to boost their creative practice. But it's actually one of the lesser known aspects of psychedelic research, or, or perhaps the less proven. So, Psychedelics, as we said, increase this global connectivity of the brain. They help with new connections, more flexible thinking. And this really helps with something called divergent thinking, which is the ability to come up with multiple ideas or multiple solutions to a problem, which means that it actually broadens the search space for where we can find ideas. You know, if you think about it, you're coming up with an idea as you're like, no, that's a bad one. That one's meaningless. When you're taking psychedelics, you all of a sudden pay attention to some of these things that you thought were meaningless. And. And so it perhaps allows you to find a creative idea with one that you would have shooed aside. The other kind of interesting thing here is that This meaning, as we spoke about, is enhanced. So when people talk about creative breakthroughs and psychedelic experiences, it's possible that they actually just think that they're better than they are. They appear more meaningful than they previously thought to be. And if someone actually measured them, perhaps they wouldn't agree. The one notion of creativity that has been proven that links it to psychedelics is this notion of being more open. So openness to experience is one of the kind of key personality traits that's linked with high creativity. And one of the things that psychedelics, uh, one of the things that psychedelics inherently do is make you more open. So even if psychedelics don't make you more creative, they definitely make you more open and that can be a mediating factor. One of the aspects connected with meaning that's really important is feeling more connected to yourself, connected to others or ultimately unity, connection to the greater consciousness. And this is a real underlying factor within psychedelics. And Catherine, how does this how does this really work in the brain?
0: Well, as we said earlier, one of the major components of the psychedelic experience is the deactivation and the DMN, the default mode network, and that's directly tied to how we think about ourselves or rather how much significance or time or priority we spend on ourselves. You see, the less we think about ourselves, the more we can think about the world, how much exists beyond us, how, for example, we can better contribute or, or unify with people to connect and experience ourselves in it. And this is what people talk about when they speak about ego dissolution that loss of oneself and a disillusion of the boundaries of of us and the world and we lead to this feeling of what's described as oneness or unity which is the connection that robin was talking about now of course connection itself is is a pillar of our studio connection to ourselves to others and the world around us and in studies the sense of connectedness featured acutely especially during the treatment session itself And what they found in these studies is that connectedness seems to be a bedrock of well-being. Now, of course, there's this reduction in the DMN, which is directly tied to awe, which we're going to do a whole episode on uh, later in the series. Awe literally shrinks our sense of self. It's that combination of vastness and accommodation. Now, I'm sure we've all had experiences of awe from something, be it standing in a great epic vista or being confronted with a huge, giant piece of art. Most famous, of course, is the astronauts who looked back at the world from space. But big or small, studies of all show that after the experience, people do all sorts of amazing things. They sign their names smaller. They're more likely to do an act of kindness to other people. And most interesting, perhaps, is they're more likely to do what's called pro-environmental behavior, acts of behavior towards the environment. You know, it really increases our connection to nature. And perhaps this is what we mean by a mystical experience. All mysticism and religion have always been linked in culture. It's that sense of something larger than oneself. This is specifically
1: tied back to that deactivation of activity in the default mode network. We're thinking less about ourselves, which leads to this notion of ego disillusion, which you may have heard of, it literally shrinks our ego, makes us think less of ourselves. And now awe and ego disillusion and this deactivation of the DMN, as we said, are so fundamental to the psychedelic experience. This brings us actually to another important point. You don't actually need to take psychedelics to have some similar effects. You can do this in a few different ways. And of course, as Catherine said, one of the best things to induce awe naturally is being in nature, in the environment yourself. Now, we've all had that experience as of this vast vistas, or what about staring up at the night sky, seeing the beautiful cosmos? You know, a lot of studies to invoke awe will show people this to measure kind of the brain in response to it. And psychedelics enhance the connection to nature, but connecting to nature alone can also do the trick. As we push stories about ourselves out of the way, we can begin to see ourselves as more connected beings, including that with nature. And now, Chris and Eileen both have their own projects and experiences very deeply with the subjects. They both tell us a little bit more, including some of the projects they currently have to help people tap into this.
2: It seems that the natural environment uh, engages a similar sort of attentional this position as the psychedelic experience does, which is kinda of like this soft focus or soft attentional mode. When we engage with our you know, our environments made out of cities, we tailor a world that is all about narrow focus. It's easy for us to direct our attention. And all our work and the computers that we engage with is all about in a way, negotiating our attentional mechanisms in a very direct way, a narrow sort of way. Although we're being demanded by many things, when we engage with the things, it's all about narrow focus. Nature, because of the the characteristics of natural environments, and because in nature there's no prototype, there's no prototype of a tree that's being replicated over and over and over again. What you have is no tree is the same as the other tree. So this diversity in, in the sensory qualities of nature engages our attention in a way that forces it to be open. And people have linked this sort of like soft, attentional focus to this restorative quality, kind of like refreshing ourselves and, and this leading as well to eventually to awe-inducing experiences, or, which can be similar to a certain degree to the psychedelic state. Another one of the aspects related to awe, quite related to nature, is aesthetic experiences. There's something about that, that sort of aesthetic quality as well. Uh, that hasn't been studied enough, I would say, in the psychedelic experience. What does beauty mean in the psychedelic state? It will come with a feeling of like, beauty, like inherent sort of beauty. And there's a lot to be done in that regard.
3: So, back in 2018, my creative partner Tamsin Cunningham and I um, put together an expedition to a cave system in, deep in the jungles of my home country of Ecuador and um, this, this place I'm connected to through my father's work who was an explorer of ancient cultures. In continuing the conservation efforts for this place we decided that we could bring in musicians and artists to map it and to really but map the space creatively and from a sensory perspective so that we could connect people in the outside world to the spirit of of the cave and the jungle. And so the expedition, uh, we went with John Hopkins. We also took Mendel Kalin, founder of Wave Paths, and uh, some photographers and Ecuadorian musician David Villa Gomez. And what unfolded, so many things came out of that expedition. One of the main pieces of work was this 20 minute a long composition that John Hopkins created which is also part of his new album and it was a direct translation of his feelings in the space and, and I, like I mentioned the spirit of the place he used uh, a few of Mendel's recordings um, of the water and the cave itself and so those two things married together really bring people into this depth of connection with the earth with the soil uh, with darkness but also with a place which is supposed to be like a sanctuary Caves have been used uh, for hundreds of years uh, by various tribes and shamanic traditions to receive new visions for the world. Um, Sensory deprivation is very good at doing that. And so we're really hoping to translate that experience into not just music, uh, but we'll be creating an art installation based on this composition so that people can come in and connect to themselves and have a space where they can go inward in a very safe way and use the music as a transcendental space. And you don't always need the psychedelics to do that. And so we're very interested in the science of sound and how it can help us um, also alter our states uh, for well-being in that sense.
0: Jolene says we don't always need psychedelics to transform our experience of the world around us. One interesting one to us is raves. There's a brilliant piece of research and paper called I Get High with a little help from my friends, which showed that those who engage in behaviours to alter their state of consciousness, such as that constantly dancing to, to electronic music, tended to report elevated sense of awe whilst at the rave. Interestingly, participants who reported consuming drugs also tended to report experiencing more awe compared to those who didn't. And the psychedelic drugs, psilocybin, LSD, seemed to have the greatest effect on awe.
1: We've all had that experience at a rave before, haven't we?
0: We have indeed. Where you
1: feel like completely connected and transcended with those around you and you're just kind of moving with the crowd kind
0: of in a state of, of, yeah, real transcendence. I know. And I always claim, and now there's research to show it, that that going to raves is is good for, for my well-being and my soul.
1: But there's other ways beyond raving, if that's not for you, to drop into these altered states of consciousness. And as a reminder, an altered state of consciousness is really just any mental or embodied state which significantly deviates from normal waking consciousness. Of course, this is a great episode. I've been able to mention two of my favorite things. Here I go again. One One of the ways to drop into another altered state of consciousness is a flotation tank sensory deprivation floating on, you know, a ton of magnesium salts. It's really a way to shift your brain state and drop into these aspects or otherwise a gong bath or sound healing, which really scrambles your brain in a similar way to psychedelics where your thoughts are kind of unclear, but you have these breakthrough moments or Of course, our favorite, breathwork. You know, when we're breathing in, we're literally expanding ourselves, you know, thinking about it that way. And breathwork practices can really lead to bigger picture understanding of reality and coming to peace with it as well, which corresponds with this heightened state of consciousness and increased feelings of connectedness to others. So it can really reduce the sense of individual self we spoke of. Through breathwork, it's also possible to create more space in our lives and in our bodies by opening up. our awareness to things that were previously unseen. And finally, as we've spoken about before, aesthetics can really support these altered states of consciousness journeys. Catherine mentioned John Hopkins' recent album, Music for Psychedelic Therapy. And this is one of those ways to get that support. You know, we spoke about guides and therapists and things like that. And of course, we're not trying to compare aesthetics as a guide to kind of real trained individuals in this field. But it's about creating that environment we spoke of to make you feel safe, wrapped in music. And it's just wonderful to see the wonderful aesthetic work that is starting to emerge to support people in these sometimes difficult, sometimes quite intense and meaningful experiences. And Eileen's beautiful artwork is actually gracing the cover of John Hopkins' Music for Psychedelic Therapy. And so it's really interesting to explore artwork as a way to drop into these altered states of consciousness and use it to support us. So Eileen tells us a little bit more about her work with the album. It's really exciting
3: to see more artists kind of owning that role of of creating music that is seen as the second therapist in the room and also a fundamental part of a psychedelic experience. And the inspiration for the cover comes from a series of paintings I created called The Primal Pulse. Um, And it's this idea that um, through everything that exists, there's a primal intelligence that guides the way our cells grow, the way our blood flows. There's a lot of things that automatically happen in our bodies and in our life that we don't have to consciously think about because there's an underlying intelligence that does it. Um, whatever it is, you know, there's different maybe names for it. But I love this idea that it, it's like this pulse, this pulsating energy in us that we can feel through our hearts and through our systems. And um, the, the visuals that were created as part of a video that his team created also pull people into this uh, painting in a really beautiful way and just expand this space beyond the known, uh, which is what also psychedelics do. They pull us into places that we haven't been to before and get us to explore and 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 feel more of the fabric of reality in that sense. Um, and another thing I'll mention, Mendel Kalin, who commented on my work a few years back, he's he said that I, you know, he he enjoyed the amount of abstract space there are there is in my work and that is very intentional so that. I'm giving you some guidance, I'm making it quite misty and and kind of ethereal, but also there's enough space for you to bring your energy into the work so that it's not just dictated by me, you get to be part of this experience
1: together. In the creation of these experiences, where we feel safe to open our hearts and have these transcendent experiences, again, are these aesthetic environments, these psychedelic aesthetics, as we like to call them. And Eileen's work and the work that we're doing is really helping people unlock these latent states, these latent states in their minds and bodies through aesthetics, through environments that they feel comfortable being a part of. And ultimately, when people are unlocking these latent states in their minds and bodies, they're unlocking new creativity, new creative potential, repositioning really what creativity means by thinking in these new flexible ways. And I think it's really important to note that, that creative thinking is creative thinking just that. It's thinking outside of the constructs that you would normally engage in, which allows you to then go about your day, your life, thinking, acting, feeling, behaving differently. And in that is Creative act, and these are the new ways we experience ourselves in the world. And so, it's really interesting to explore the parallels of what's happening here with psychedelics as well as what's happening in the creative landscape. And Chris puts this really beautifully.
2: One of the interesting things about thinking about art and, and science or, or aesthetic experiences and psychedelic science, more specifically, is that both I think both things are about engaging the, the creative capacities of, of human beings. And and I think sometimes creativity is, is thrown out as a um, as a mushy, undetermined, fussy thing. Um, when I think it's, it's something actually quite essential, like engaging our imaginative capacities, really speak about the essence of human beings. And I think both psychedelics and, and art and art sort of related experience or aesthetic experiences engage that human creative capacity, which has to do essentially with becoming something more than what we are currently in our given state. The idea of engaging creativity is that we're developing worlds in our heads, we're developing imagination, we're developing new possibilities that are not real at the moment, but could be real in the future. And that could help us, you know, deal with, global crises or personal crises or just engaged in a very meaningful, beautiful life.
0: It really resonates with me, that last sentiment of Chris's, that, you know, through these experiences, we're developing new possibilities, ones that are not real at the moment, but could be real in the future. You know, as we sit at this point in humanity where, faced by all sorts of crises around us. It's our imagination uh, that will turn into the innovation we need to lift us out of it. And if psychedelics can play a role in that, as well as individual well-being, then to me it's an incredibly important area of research.
1: So as we hope you've learned from the show and have had a few takeaways from yourself, psychedelics is really this emerging field of research that is really just at the beginning. It's such an exciting time to see what else is possible, who else this can help, and really seeing how this can really inform some of the future of therapy. But it's also important to remember that psychedelics might not be for everyone, and these experiences can sometimes be really intense. So just make sure if you are taking psychedelics, please be safe, be mindful of your set and setting, have friends, loved ones, and trained guides around you who know what they're doing to help you through these moments. Make sure that you integrate your experience as well, and really take care of yourself. And if psychedelics aren't for you, As you've seen there are so many other ways to tap into these mind states and help us walk new paths i think really the main takeaway from today's episode is remaining open you know open yourself to new experiences new potential it's really that openness to experience which is one of the most fundamental aspects of changes in the psychedelic state so whether you want to engage with breathwork Join me at a flotation tank, enjoy your time in nature exploring the trees, just think about being open, relaxed and free and those new neural connections will follow and you might just begin to feel differently about yourself and how you see yourself in the world and that connection to it.